All right. Good to see you all again. It's been so long since I saw you last. Uh, Open your Bible to Romans chapter 11. And um, because this is the Bible class hour, I'd like to make sure that you guys know I'm comfortable. If you want to ask questions and so forth, uh, please don't feel shy. You won't interrupt me. I tell my students, um, it's not that I don't have something to say. Like if you don't ask a question, I'm going to keep talking. But I'm willing to stop if you guys do have a question or you want to make some comment. Let's take a look at Romans chapter 11. And I want to read verses 17 through 24 with you and then uh, make some observations. In Romans 11, beginning at verse number 17, the Bible says, But if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in and others and <clears throat> I'm sorry, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear for if the God, if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen. But God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness, otherwise you, too, will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in for God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut, if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? I'm going to adjust this because I don't know who used it last, but it wasn't me. Let me see some here. I, took, I, I don't need my glasses to read, but I can't even see the, the, the text without. And I'm going to get it to where I want it. All right. All right. Very good. This is a little bit better. OK, so we were thinking about the idea of balance. And I want us to think about the idea of a balanced view of God. I think sometimes people have um, views of God that are out of kilter, if you will. Like some people think about God as if he is a Santa Claus like figure. You know, he's just he's just in the world to give gifts. He's only interested in sort of uh, blessing people with nice things. And if people happen not to be nice, well, he'll just pass by. And sometimes people think that God is this uh, harsh judge who's hanging over the banister of heaven, waiting for people to to deviate just a little so that he can strike them down. And I say to you that either of those views is significantly out of balance. That's not a balanced view of who God is. And when you look at this text in verse number 23, Paul says about God, behold, look, see the kindness, the old version says, the goodness and the severity of God. Our God is a balanced being. You can see balance in the creation, right? There's day and night. That's how he made it. There's young and old. There's hot and cold. There's male and female. There's predator and prey. Our God is a balanced God, and he's given us a world that is balanced. 
And you know what he expects of us? He expects us to be balanced beings. That's his character. That's his nature. And so we can't expect hot without cold, day without night. When you're dealing with God, you cannot expect kindness without severity. When I say that there's a balance with God, what I'm saying here is these two things do constitute an equilibrium. I think I said to you on Friday that we use the word balance in some different ways. And sometimes we're talking about an equilibrium, two equal things being held in proper tension. And other times we're talking about simply holding two ideas or two substances in proper proportion. Well, the proper proportion here is equilibrium. God is both. He's not one Or the other. When we don't understand that, we become disappointed. If we think God is just a Santa Claus like figure who simply goes about bestowing gifts on people, when we see evidence of severity, we become disappointed because we had an improper view of the God of heaven. We didn't expect that. We think that doesn't fit his character. See, that's because you don't know his character, that's all. And sometimes if we think that God is exceptionally severe, then when we see evidence of his blessings, we assign that to other things because we think that's out of his character. No, that's outside of your view that's imbalanced about his character. God is a balanced being, full of kindness, but also he's full of severity. And we need to sort of recognize that. Now, here's the thing. If I know that God is kind, then that helps me to want to draw near to him and be close to him and associate with him. Anybody ever been around people who are just kind people? And you know what? Those people tend to draw folks to them. We like that in others. We admire that in others. And so God's kindness sort of draws us to him, makes us want to be with him, associate with him. His severity is important to keep in mind, though, because as we draw near, remembering his severity helps us to draw near in the appropriate, respectful way. It's not that we need to be afraid to be with God. No, we need to be reverential in being with God. The two are not in conflict at all. Draw near because he's kind, but remember who he is because there are consequences of approaching him incorrectly. There's severity there. There really is an equilibrium. There is a balance. The reality of God's kindness and severity. You can see this in your Old Testament. God's kindness. You remember he makes Adam and Eve and he gives them an ideal dwelling place. He puts them in the Garden of Eden. They didn't deserve that. That was just a product of his kindness. You see, he sees people in Israel, in uh, Egypt, Israel down in Egypt, and they're being oppressed and so forth. And you know what he does? He comes and delivers them, not because they deserve it, but because of his kindness. He gives them a land, the Bible says, flowing with milk and honey. They didn't earn that. That was a consequence of his kind nature. And he he allowed them to dwell in great cities that they did not labor to build because of who he is. God is the kind of God who blesses people, delights in blessing people. 
You see his kindness. He sends Jesus into the world. Listen, the world did not deserve him. The Bible says Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. So why did he do it? Because God is that kind of kind God. That's why you see it. You also, though, see, even in your Old Testament, evidence of his severity. God responds to certain kinds of things quite harshly. You remember the Bible talks about Korah and those who were associated with him and they withstood Moses and rebelled against him. You remember what God did about that? Tell Korah and all those with him to come over yonder. I'll help you all to see who it is that I approve of and who I don't. Let's get these guys all over here together. Get them together. And God opened up the ground and swallowed up Korah and everything that appertained to him and closed up the ground again. I'm going to tell you something. When I was not a Christian, as I described a few moments ago, I was reading through the Bible and I read through, uh, starting with Matthew, that New Testament. And when I came to the Old Testament, I started reading that. Boy, that made an impression on me. God is not messing around. He's not playing games. When he says he wants things done a certain way, that's how he expects it done. And there are consequences for not doing things the way he says he wants them done. You remember he tells the uh, Jews how he wanted the priesthood to work. He tells them how Aaron and his sons are supposed to serve and all that. And then you get over there to Leviticus chapter 10, I think it is, and you get Nadab and Abihu and And uh, they're coming to offer strange fire. You remember that unauthorized fire? What did God do about that? He offered fire of his own. You know, he didn't accept what they offered, but they could not refuse what he offered. He devoured them with fire. Now, doesn't that seem severe? And somebody say, well, what kind of God is that? I tell you what kind of God it is. It's God who means what he says. It's God who's not playing games. He's a God who expects people to approach him with the proper reverence and respect For who he is. You remember uh, Uzzah? The Bible talks about Uzzah and he goes. Now listen, Israel's trying to do a good thing. They want to recover the Ark of the Covenant. But they don't go about it the right way. Send the wrong people down there. People don't know how to handle the Ark. Not authorized to do it in the first place. Put the Ark on a cart. Have it drawn by an oxen. The oxen stumbles. The cart begins to fall. Uzzah does what any of us would have done. He reaches out his hand to try to save the ark. And guess what? The Bible says, David speaking, God made a breach upon Uzzah. Listen, Uzzah didn't. It's not that he had a bad heart. He allowed himself to be in a position he shouldn't be in, doing things he didn't know what he was doing in an unauthorized way. God is serious when he says he wants a thing done. He wants it done the way he said he wants it done. And so you see evidence of his severity. Now, you can see this even in your New Testament, although in the New Testament, we don't have, you know, these same kinds of episodes where the earth is opening up and swallowing people and we don't have fire coming out and devouring people. We don't have people dying as soon as they touch hold of something. We don't have that. But we do have evidence of his severity. You remember Ananias and Sapphira and they lied to the Holy Spirit of God. and They say we sold the land for so much. Listen, it was their land. They could have kept it if they wanted to. Nobody made them do anything, but they lied. They sold it for a certain amount and tried to keep back part of it. And that all that by itself was not a crime. But they lied. The fact that they tried to keep back part of it, it was theirs. But they lied so that they might be thought to be something that they were not. To have done something that they hadn't in fact done. To have made a sacrifice greater than the one they actually made. 
They lied to the Holy Spirit of God. You remember what happened to them? Well, first the husband just falls down dead and they carry him out. And then the wife comes in and repeats the lie. She falls down dead and they carry her out. I'm just saying, listen, God is not playing games with people. He's not a cuddly teddy bear. He's a loving, kind, omniscient, ever-present, all-knowing creator. He's... Good and severe. That's, you know what? That's perfectly all right. I think most of us know that there are times where it becomes appropriate for us to be severe. I think all of us know that. And I'm just saying to you, don't be shaken when God also realizes that there are times to be severe. Are y'all tracking with me so far? You're just looking at me. Everybody all right? I didn't go off the rails yet, did I? I'm just getting started. So what what Paul is saying here in Romans 11, as he's talking about the relationship between the Jews and the Gentiles, he's saying, "Okay, listen, it's possible to lose focus on the balance you see in the God of heaven. He's talking to the Gentiles and he says, you guys could become proud and puffed up thinking that you've done something special or that you are something special because while you were outside strangers to the promises of God in the commonwealth of Israel, God grafted you in so that you can enjoy his kindness and his goodness. And you might think that that's because you are something special. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with who God is. He's that kind of good. He's that kind of kind. You just need to recognize that. And so then when you look at your Jews who preceded you, the ones who did not accept Jesus Christ, you see that they have been broken off. You see that they have fallen away, that the kinds of blessings that you now enjoy, they are missing out on, though they were formerly in a position to enjoy them. And you might look down at your nose and think you're somehow better than them or they're somehow worse than you. It has nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with God. Now, they made a choice. And God respected it. He's kind to those who choose his kindness, but to those who do not respect his awesome power, severity. That's what they chose. And here's what he tells these Christians there in Rome. You need to beware because if you don't continue in his kindness, You'll meet his severity yourselves. You can be broken off. See, those who've been broken off, they can be grafted in again. This is all about the choices that we make, the sort of part of God's character that we experience. It's the choices we make. He is who he is, a perfectly balanced being. The question is, what part of his being do you want to spend your time interacting with? That's your choice. Now, how this relates to folks today, we still have to make our own choices. Do we want to spend our time reveling in God's kindness and goodness? Then we have to believe. We have to be faithful. We have to sort of pursue a right relationship with him, and he rewards that. If we don't, then we're asking for his severity. And guess what? He will give us what we ask for. Ultimately, yes, he will. Now, let's think for a moment about why God might choose to be 
severe. Severe. What might he choose to be severe? The Bible says, and I read this yesterday, I think it was, Isaiah chapter 6, God is a thrice holy God. You remember in 1 John chapter 1, the apostle is explaining what he and the others gained from their dealing with Jesus when Jesus came into the world. And so he begins by saying, you know, that which we have heard, which we have seen, which he talks about Jesus as we've handled him with our own hands and so forth. And so he's sort of laying out their credentials as apostles. And then when you get down to verse number five, he says, this then is the message that we've heard of him. Now, Jesus came to show us the father. He said that to his to his apostles. He said, show us the father. He says, I've been with you all this time. What are you talking about? I've shown you the father all this time. He came to show them the father. And John says, this is the message. If we could distill what Jesus is showing us about the father in verse number five, this then is the message that we've heard of him. Listen to it. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. See, we read that. I don't know if we appreciate what he's saying. God is absolute, pure, unadulterated light. He cannot tolerate darkness. His perfect, pure, holy character cannot tolerate darkness. And so in that context, he says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, guess what? The blood of Jesus will keep cleansing us and we can be in fellowship with God. But if we say we have a fellowship with God while we're walking in darkness, what does he say? Then we're lying. It's an impossibility. So why does God wind up being severe? Because he's perfectly pure and holy. And if someone chooses to try to introduce impurity into his presence, he simply cannot tolerate it. He's not able to fellowship and associate with darkness. It's impossible given his pure character. So when that happens, what people wind up with is a severe response. It's just it's the appropriate response in light of his nature and his character. Is that making sense to you? Because people think that when they see something severe happen in the Bible, for example, that this is because God is somehow overreacting. No, ma'am and no, sir. I tell you what, most of the time what he's done is exercise a kind of patience and tolerance that you and I couldn't fathom. We couldn't fathom it. When fire and brimstone rained down on Sodom and Gomorrah, listen, that was a long time coming. God took it a lot longer than he had to. And he still spared in the midst of that because he's so kind. He wants to spare. So his character requires a severe response. We're supposed to learn something when we see the severe response. We're supposed to learn something. That's the other reason that it happens. You remember the, uh, the Hebrews writer. Take a look at this real quick. I think this is Hebrews 12. The Hebrews writer is talking about just how parents do things in general. And sometimes parents have to respond have to respond to folks uh, who are not uh, behaving the way they should just because that's how parents have to do. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, let's see here. Let's start with verse number five. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? 
My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens every son whom he receives. When he when he disciplines, it's a consequence of his love, he says. It is for discipline that you have to that you have to endure. God is entreating you as sons for what son is there whom his father does not discipline. If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live for they have disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. He wants us to learn. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. What's his point? God is not being severe for no reason. He responds because he loves and he wants us to learn. I've got two boys and I want to tell you something. I don't just say this because they're sitting here because I'd say the other thing if it were true. They're both good boys. They chose a great mother and she's done a great job. They're both really good boys. Every now and again, though, I have to get on to them. And I try my best. I try my best not to be severe. I prefer to talk. I prefer to explain. But I'm not as patient as the Lord. And sometimes I may be severe with my tone. They can tell I'm agitated. I'm upset. I'm bothered. And I don't like to raise my voice a whole lot. So. I move to physical response sometimes. Now, y'all don't have to spank yours. You don't have to. But mine know a thing or two about a swinging belt. And God made them in a certain way. They can receive a swinging belt. He's got a perfect landing spot for it. A lot of, lot of cushion there. No vital organs. So every now and again, I have to be severe. I'm not severe because I don't love my children. I'm severe because I do. I need you to learn something. And believe it or not, it actually helps. It actually helps. So if I have to get on to them and they're big enough now, they're going to want to whoop me in a minute. But, you know, that was when they were younger. You know, we have to do some of that. But that helps them to understand. Now, listen. When you're interacting with me, you're not interacting with one another. You're not interacting with your friends. I'm your father. It's different. And I don't and listen, I am going to be a friend to you, but I'm going to be a father first. We can play. We can joke around and all of that. But there are lines and limits and you need to know what they are. You're going to have to know that if you need something, I'm going to always do everything I can to help you, give you what you need, make life comfortable, easy for you, prepare you for a life without me because I won't be here forever. But if you cross certain lines, I have to discipline you to bring you back into line for your benefit, not for me, not because I'm upset, not because I don't like you, because I do love you and I need you to learn this lesson. When they're dealing with each other, they do what brothers do. They get into this sometimes and I'll sometimes remind them, Watch how you talk to my child. Now That's your brother. I get it. That's my child. And I care how my child gets treated even by you. 
Watch how you talk to my wife. Don't make my wife tell you twice. Now, that's your mother. Guess what? She was my wife first. I'm just saying to you, we know that in the human realm, there are just times where we're having to be severe. It doesn't mean we don't love. It doesn't mean we're not kind. Did I lose anybody in here? Y'all don't spank y'all. Everybody went quiet. Okay, I've got Bible for it. If you want to see me after, I didn't tell you to I didn't tell you to beat and abuse. I'm just saying there's a way to do it. There's a way to do it. Okay, but we just recognize that sometimes that's part of what needs to happen. The Bible says God is the same way. He chastens those whom he loves because he expects them to learn. I think also we have to understand that. There are reasons for God's kindness. Now, I did these out of order for a reason. There's a reason, there are reasons for his severity. There are reasons for his kindness. The Bible tells us God is love. That's, that's just who he is. I mean, if you wanted to explain God, he is love. He relentlessly pursues the best good of the objects of his affection. He relentlessly pursues it. Now, he will bless the good and the bad. The sun rises and the rain falls on the just and the unjust. He's just a good God and we have never deserved it. When we were when we were sinners out there in the world, if we were rebelling against him and blaspheming his name, guess what? He let us keep waking up every day and the sun kept rising and the rains kept falling because that's just who he is. He's a loving, merciful, kind God. Now, he doesn't need any more reasons than that, but he uses goodness He uses kindness to draw us closer to him the same way that we are drawn to people who are good and kind. You just ever been around somebody? It's like every time I see that person, they've got a smile on their face. I look forward to seeing people. Sometimes I travel, you know, and I go to the same places every year, every couple of years or something like that. And there are people who I only see when I show up to that congregation. And I'm telling you, there's some that I look for because it brings a smile to my face to see them because that's the kind of person they are. They're just always in a good mood, always kind. That draws us to people. God uses his character, his nature of kindness, goodness to draw people to him. He wants us to know it's okay to come. You should come. You should want to be with me. You just have to remember that when you approach me, you're not approaching your friend. You're not you're not dealing with another human being. You're just not joking around with your pals the same way when my sons deal with me. It's like, listen, we can be friends, but it's not the same kind of friendship that you'd have with your your brothers or your friends at school. It's just not the same. Do you all see what I'm saying there? God is a perfectly balanced being. Now, we should learn when we see severity in his response to other people. We should learn that. So we can avoid God having to be severe with us 
when we understand his nature, we understand his character, we recognize the goodness and the severity of God. And we recognize that the one that we will see will be contingent on how we deal with him. If we believe and are faithful, then we can expect goodness from him. If we don't believe and we are not faithful, then we can expect corrective severity from him. Well, that's our choice. But I can learn not only from what the Bible tells me that I can expect, but I can learn from what I see in the lives of other people when they are not faithful. When Korah and those who resisted Moses were disciplined by God, the idea there in the text is they are supposed to see and fear. They're supposed to learn something. Israel's supposed to learn this is not how God wants it done. Well, listen, you can learn the easy way or the hard way. I mean, just intelligent people will say, well, I don't need the ground to open up and swallow me to see that that's what will happen to me if I follow that example. Or you think about uh, Uzzah when he reaches down and tries to save the ark. You remember what David says? He he looks at that episode because David kind of had a hard time with that. Initially, he's like, man, alive, we're trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to bring the ark back. And, and then Uzzah is a man who stepped forward to do this good work. And David just couldn't figure out what is God doing? This really sent him for a loop. But then he comes back and he says, I know what happened. I see what happened there. We did not seek. This is the old language. I think in the King James. Was that for me to quit? Was that for me to quit? Okay, well, I'm going to quit. But but let me just he says we did not seek him after the due order. We didn't do it right. So they went and got the Levites and carried the thing and did it the way they were supposed to do the first time. We're just supposed to learn from it. God is a perfectly balanced being. He's good and kind. He's also severe. And these two things are not intention. As a matter of fact, these things go together like day and night, black and white. Hot and cold, male and female. They go together, perfectly balanced being. Thank you for your time this morning.